The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Today I'd like to start, I'd like to talk about something that, that's usually a good thing to talk about. I'd like to talk about the cross, in case you notice it migrated uh, from where it normally is. But I'd like to talk about the cross. And, and the cross is very iconic in our culture, is it not? You see it in jewelry, you see it like in logos, you see it on clothing. Anytime you see it, it stands out wherever it is, does it not? It does for me. Like whenever I see a cross on something, it, it stands out. And so it means a lot of things to different people, but I love what God did with it, don't you? I love that, that the Romans took this thing and, and they meant it for torture, they meant it for death, they meant it for, for, for just, the, the, just evil. And what God did was he said, you know what, not only am I going to save you from yourself, not only am I going to redeem you, which is what he did, not only am I going to save you from your sins and make you clean before me, but I'm going to take something that you took and made evil and I'm going to redeem it and I'm going to make it something different. I'm going to make it something better. So now as we look at this death stake is what it is, what we see is hope. I see hope here. I see the grace of God here, right? Like what, what they meant for evil, God used and took and redeemed and turned it into something absolutely beautiful. And so I want to talk about the cross today, and, and I want to use it as a picture. I already said it's very iconic. I want to use it as a picture for ourselves, and, and I want to use it as a picture of, of how we're to live our lives now in the, in the cross. And so if you have uh, something you're taking notes on, if you're not taking notes, do it, all right? Uh, but grab a pen or something. Would you draw a cross? Just draw a cross. If you don't know what one looks like, I'll give you a hint. Cool. All right, we're on the same page. Just draw a picture of the cross. And so, and so what we're going to be looking at, we're going we're gonna to use this as a diagram. And what we're going to shoot for, and thank you, Tommy, for these. This cross is huge. What we're going to shoot for here is the middle, where our little Christchurch logo is here. We're going to shoot for the middle. That's what we're going to be shooting for here. And you say, why the middle? Why the center? Because the center is the strongest point, is it not? It's the strongest point where they intersect. That's, that's the, the strongest point of it. And I want to be the strongest witness for Jesus I can be. I want to be the strongest aroma of Jesus. Do you understand? I want to walk by people and them go... Is that Jesus I smell, right? Like, I want to be that, okay? I want to be that. I want to, I want to be so strong in my aroma of Jesus. Like, I want to be like, a, like one of those 13-year-old boys who gets cologne for the first time. You get what I'm saying? Like, I want to be that strong of, of a witness for, for Jesus. And it's the middle of the Christ, uh, the middle of the cross. So if you would, circle the middle of the cross. Circle the middle. And again, if you need help. Here, all right? There you go, center. We're going to circle the middle there, and we're going to be looking in Matthew. uh, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37. If you don't have a Bible, underneath your seats, there's a little white Bible. You can turn to page 705. Page 705, um, and you can follow along there. So go ahead, Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 37. All right, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So what we're seeing here is that Jesus is giving us two aspects of what it means to live a Christian life, what it means to live like Jesus. He's giving us two aspects of it. And what we're going to do is we're going to diagram those on the cross and, and hopefully help us, help us find the center, find where they intersect. 
and, and, and hopefully find the heart of God in the center there. So if you would, uh, let's look at the first thing that he shows us there. If you would, on the, on the vertical beam of the cross, would you write um, righteousness? Righteousness. The first thing we're going to talk about is vertical righteousness. And this is, what, this, this is where Jesus starts here in the scripture. Righteousness. Look back at that verse in, in, in uh, uh, verse 37 in chapter 22. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. All right. So th- what this is, obviously he's saying you need to have a relationship with God, right? Like this, these words might not just scream relationship. That's exactly what they are. Love God with your heart. Love him with your affections, right? Love God with your soul, with your identity, with who you are. Love God with your mind, with your focus, and with your intellect, right? So, so this is a relationship. So the first thing God is calling us to is a relationship with him, to live with him. But, but that relationship, what we're calling it is it needs to be righteous. That's what we're calling it. So, so what is righteousness? Let's break down righteousness real quick. We've done this before, so some of you, I know you memorize everything I've ever said, so good for you. But for the rest of us, all right, uh, let's break down righteousness. The first thing, righteousness is being right before God. Being right before God. And what I mean by that is our sin, obviously, uh, our sin, the, the penalty of sin, the Bible says, is death. So what we've done, how we've wronged the perfect God deserves death. Yet because of Christ, we stand before him righteous. He looks at us and he says, innocent. He doesn't see us as guilty because of what Jesus has done. He has made us righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right? So, so God has made us right before him. So that's step one to, being, to, to having a right relationship with God is being, being righteous before him. And that's something he does in us. That's something that the minute you say, my way isn't working. The way I live my life is not working. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust what you've done. I'm going to stop trying to earn my way to heaven because it's not going to work. Isaiah 64 says that your righteousness, the best that you can do is as filthy rags before him. So the minute you say, I'm not even, I can't do anything for myself, God. It's all about you. I'm going to follow you now. The minute you do that, your sin, it's, re- it's removed. When he sees you, what does he see? He sees his son. He sees his daughter. He sees you as innocent. He sees you as righteous. So it's being right before God. The second thing is doing right according to God. Um, and what this is is simply growing in your relationship with him, doing, acting more like Christ. Um, let me read you a verse, uh, Romans 1, 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, listen, the righteous shall live by faith. Live by faith. Your everyday actions, you're trying to make them what? Righteous, right according to God. So grow, and, and so you're just simply growing in that faith. So what does that have to, what, what does that entail? Well, it, it involves uh, reading the word of God. It involves being in the word of God. It involves hearing teaching about the word of God. Why? Because that's how he speaks to us. So it's listening to God in his word. It involves prayer. It involves talking to him. So listening to him in the word of God and also speaking to him in prayer. It involves being involved in church because you know what? This is now your family. It's, it's a rough one, but this is your family, all right? And the Bible also says that this is God's family now. 
All of us who follow Christ, we're all now in the family of God. Does this not sound like just simply living with him? That's all, that's all it is. It's living right according to God. It's really just living with him, just involved with him. Think about when you start dating someone. What do you do? You talk to them. You listen to them. At some point, you meet their family. And then at some point, you marry them and you're stuck with their family. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's simply living with, but not you guys. Love you guys. You, it's, it's <laughs> I forget they're there. Uh, it's simply living with him. That, that's what he's calling us to here. Um, and, and, and I love this idea because he rewards us as we live every day with him, every step with him. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. That might be one of my favorite beatitudes because what it says is, it says truly happy, truly content are those who are focused on God, who are focused on him in everything. They walk with him, they talk with him. You, you get what I'm saying? They're looking for him. And what's their reward? They'll see him. They'll see him everywhere. They'll see him in all their interactions. What, a, what an unbelievable reward that is. I met with someone this past week or two weeks ago before I left who, um, who just now came to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, before that, just, just two months before, he would have said he was an atheist. And, and God just radically has been changing his life. And now as he's looking back at his life even before his faith in Christ, he's now viewing it through the lens of seeing God working in, in his life. And he's starting to pick out how God worked in his life before. Like, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those focused on God because they're going to see him everywhere. Isn't that incredible? So the first thing we've been called to is this vertical righteousness, right? Which is being focused on him, which is living with him, talking with him, hearing from him, uh, uh, sharing uh, him. You, you get what I'm saying? So, so it's vertical righteousness. But to simply say, got it, righteousness, check, done, right? I pray, I read my Bible, I go to church, I, uh, I help in the nursery, right? Like every time Brother John yells at me, I get up and I go, right? You know what I mean? Like, like check, that's done. That's incomplete, isn't it? That sounds simple. And, and you go, I know it's incomplete because there's another part of the cross. All right, well done. All right, but no, it seems incomplete. And, and the reality is, it is incomplete. Because if, if the goodness of God, if God shows his kindness to us and it terminates on us, and, and by that, I mean that our relationship with him is a private thing. It, every, every goodness he shows us, all his kindness he shows us, it stops with us. Who gets the glory? Where does the glory go? Where's the focus? Us. And that's not God. He's too good for that. He's better than that, right? He knows us better. He loves us more than to, than to let us terminate on ourselves. So if God shows his kindness to us in a, in a relationship with him, and that overflows to other people, we show that to other people, we let it, we let it affect the way we, we interact with everyone, family, coworkers, neighbors, whatever, who gets the glory then? God does. And that's exactly how he's working. And that's exactly what that vertical righteousness is for. In Matthew 5, 14 and 16, Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Hang on. I, I said that too fast. You are the light of the world. You hear me? You are. I'm not speaking to the collective you, all right? I'm speaking to you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others 
so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this vertical righteousness is not meant, it's not a lamp that you put under a bed. It's not a lamp that you hide. You don't turn on a flashlight and then put it in your pocket, all right? And so this, this vertical righteousness here, the, the moving more towards the center of the cross, moving more towards where we would like to be, right? And, and excuse me, I got to get back up on my, my soapbox here. Moving, moving just, if we're just on vertical righteousness, it's incomplete. It's not where we want to be. But moving up here to the intersection, what is vertical righteousness? moving towards its inspiring horizontal righteousness, which is living, doing right to other people, which we're going to call horizontal justice. So on your little diagram, if you would, write justice on that horizontal, on that horizontal line. So as our vertical righteousness, as, as we live right according to God, we're living with him, we're experiencing him, we're, we're, we're getting to understand who he is. That inspires us to action, and that inspires us to horizontal justice. It inspires us to do right to other people. Now, justice. When I say justice, what do you think of? This might not be what I'm talking about, but what do you think of? You know what I think of? Stupid shows on CBS. That's what I think of. I think of crime shows. I think of, and you know the, you know the crime show I hate the most? And please don't hit me. CSI Miami. I hate that show. All right? I absolutely hate that show. Right? And you know why I hate it? Horatio, that guy. I hate it. I hate it because it's stupid and he thinks I'm stupid. And so this is what he does if you've never seen the show. Every time. This is what he does at the beginning. He'll find a dead body. He'll stand there all weird. And he'll say, she was at home. But she thought she was safe. Because she was wrong. (laughs) Dead wrong. All right, so anyway. I, I hate that show. I hate it. I hate it. It's not justice either, because what happens? What's the best thing that happens on that show? They catch the bad guy at the end, and that's it. You don't know what the trial does. What if they go to trial, and like Horatio, you know, when he was saying his dead wrong thing, steps on evidence, and it gets thrown out, and they get released. You know what I mean? Like, you never see, you never see the trial. It never goes through the whole thing of justice. And then even if it gets to the trial, like, is justice always done in our court of law? There was one time, let me tell you this, there was this burglar um, in Belgium who was in a house and he was stealing from the house and uh, obviously he was burgling and as he was stealing from the house, he was, he, the owners came back in and when they did, it scared him and so he scampered out the back um, and as he was running, he fell over this, this uh, nine foot, or he climbed over this nine foot wall trying to get away from the police and, and he found himself in prison. Like he literally climbed into prison, all right? And so he goes, he goes to, the, to the court and um, he gets thrown out on a technicality. Like there's something that happened, he gets thrown out on a technicality. This dude was so guilty of stealing that to run away from the police, he climbed into jail and he got away. And here's what the judge said. I know that you are guilty and you know it. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and that there you will be dealt with according to justice and not according to law. So that's not justice. What is justice? Justice is, is righting wrongs. 
to the extent they can be righted. Justice is righting wrongs. That's simply what justice is. That's not always law. And the justice I want to talk about right now is, is something in our culture we would call social justice. And what social justice is, is simply righting wrongs of things that we see. Usually people that are physically or emotionally uh, uh, in need meeting those needs. That's simply what it is. When you see something wrong in our world, trying to fix it like that. And that's super popular right now. Um, I, I have shoes on right now. They're, they're called Tom's. Um, and if you, if you want to buy a pair of Toms, what happens is once you buy a pair, they give a pair to a child in need somewhere overseas, right? And so, and so that's really, it's a popular thing. There's another campaign now uh, uh, raising awareness on um, uh, HIV and AIDS, trying to raise money for research and, and also for treatment of children affected by HIV and AIDS. It's called Buy Life. Um, and so a lot of celebrities are on it. Like if you look at the, I think I had a picture of the website that's, there you go. A lot of celebrities are on it, and they're all wearing the t-shirt, and it's like, buy this t-shirt, buy life, right? And so anyway, it's really popular. It's a popular thing, right? And so like, justice is popular. Even in our churches, uh, we support children from Holt International. We give money that, you know, we'll get them to school and other things, and there's, there's World Vision, and, and there's Christmas Child, and there are all these things. Social justice is really popular. It's popular in our culture right now. But these organizations if they just meet the physical needs or the emotional needs of the people, has justice been done? Have they righted the wrong? Not completely. And, and let, me, let me explain why. Let me explain what I mean by that. Human beings are not just material. They're also immaterial. Look at this verse in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So what this means is that we are material and we are immaterial. We have our physical selves and then, and then there is something in us. There is spirit. There's something of us that God breathed into us that make us, what the Bible says, in his likeness. Now there's an argument. There's an argument going on. Are we a dichotomy or trichotomy? Are we two parts or are we three parts, right? And I want to say this. I, don't get dogmatic about it, all right? Like don't stand up and shake your fists in the air or whatever. The important thing to remember is we are created in the image of God. We are material and immaterial, but... I do want to really quickly make a case for the trichotomy that we are body, soul, and spirit because I think it will help us understand where we're going, where Jesus is going um, later in the scripture. So uh, if, if you would, um, write this down. If, if you are taking notes, I'll, I'll write this down. Number one uh, is material. The material side of us is our body, which is physical. Um, now, I want to talk to you about our bodies real quick. Number one, you're stuck with them. Okay, you are stuck with our bodies. Uh, and let me explain. When we die, our soul is separated from our body. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We're of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. All right? So we are separated from our bodies, but you'll be reunited with them because they'll be resurrected. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by a man came death by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die so also in Christ shall all be made alive alright so do you understand your body will be resurrected and you go are you serious like I go to McDonald's every day I've been driving this thing into the ground I don't want it right like can I upgrade and the good news is not only will your body be resurrected it'll be glorified so check this out in 1 Corinthians 15. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, and it's raised in power. 
So you have something good to look forward to, all right? You understand? Like, like my uh, grandmother was a great godly woman uh, named Winnie. Um, and she always said that when she got to heaven, she was excited because her glorified self would have a better singing voice. Now, Winnie would sing her heart out, all right? It didn't matter. Like, if she's at church, you're singing about Jesus, she's going to sing her heart out. Winnie, her voice... Have, have you ever tied two cats together by their tails? Is that fair, Dad? Is that fair? Pretty fair. All right, yeah, yeah. It was rough, all right? Like, it was, it was rough. Godly lady singing her heart out, rough, all right? And so the thing she always said, she always said, I look forward to heaven because in my glorified self, I'll be able to sing, and I'll sing loud, and, and I'll sing with a, uh, uh, with a glorified voice. So your body, you're stuck with it, but God will glorify it. Um, so the second part of us, we're immaterial. We're soul and spirit. Now, I believe they're separate. And one of the reasons I believe they're separate is Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So let me explain what I think they are. Soul. Let's start with the soul. I think it's used in reference to the entire person, who you are, your identity. Um, It's what's separated from your body at death. Uh, in Genesis 35, um, as her soul was departing, uh, for she was dying, uh, she called his name uh, Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So that's what separates from your body. That's who you are, right? Like when you go to a funeral, they're no longer here, right? Well, what's left? Their soul, according to the Bible, it's who they are, their identity. The soul sins. Ezekiel 18:20. the soul who sins shall die. The soul is the center of your emotional self. Job 30, 25, do, do not I weep for him whose day was hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? The soul is who you are. That is your identity, right? What's the spirit then? The spirit is what connects you to God. So God is spirit. Jesus even tells us that, that God is spirit. So what connects us to him is spirit as well. It's how we connect to God. Jesus says in John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's how God connects with us. It's how we connect with him, but it's also how he connects with us. Check this out in 2 Corinthians 2. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are what? Spiritually discerned. The, when, when you're reading the Word of God and he reveals something to you, that's his Spirit connecting with your spirit. Do you understand? So we are three. We are body, soul, spirit. Body's physical. Soul is our identity. And our spirit's our connection to God. Now justice in our culture, though, usually means that we just meet one or two of these. Usually not all three. Let me give you an example, like body, like Tom's shoes. That means a physical need. It's not a bad thing. It's just incomplete, right? Or, or you look at the soul. Um, and, and the way we, we would meet someone's soul is we go spend time with someone. You try to validate them. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? So you let them feel respected. You meet them in an emotional place, but it, it's still incomplete. And, and lastly, maybe even rarely, some of you go after their spirit. Some of you go out after their connection with God. I, I used to do that all the time at, at, at Bellevue, my, my old church. We were in a program, an evangelism program, and we would go door to door and share, share our faith with people. We cared about their spirit. We cared about their connection with God. I had no idea if they needed food. I had no idea if they, if they had uh, shoes to wear to school. I had no idea um, if they were emotionally hurting, if they needed a friend or if they needed a neighbor. I had no idea. It was incomplete. It was incomplete. 
And so you might say, I'm supposed to meet all three. How in the world am I supposed to meet all three? I, I think we overcomplicate it. I think it's simple. I think here, here it is. Justice should be inspired by righteousness. It should meet in the middle. Your love that you experience with God should be made complete in him. Your experience with him should overflow into your, inter- your interactions with other people. And so as God has loved you completely, you start to show that love to other people completely. You invest in people as he's invested in you. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. In Jesus, in, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals a paralytic. And if you don't know the story, let me real quick. Four friends had this dude. He wasn't walking. And Jesus is teaching. And he's at a house. And they said, we got to take you to Jesus, all right? If anyone can fix you, it's him. And so they get him on his little thing. They get there. And the house is packed. And so one of them has a brilliant idea. Let's tear the roof off. Good idea, dude. And so they climb up there. And they tear the roof apart. And they lower him down to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees are in there. And they're all mad. And they're saying, who in the world thinks they can forgive sin? Like, who does he think he is, right? And they're thinking this. I love this story because they're just thinking it, right? You ever think, like, think a bad thought about somebody and you wonder, I wonder if they can read my mind. He, Jesus did. It says Jesus responded to them after that point. And, and, so, and so he says, what's easier, to say that your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, you know, son, get up and walk? And so what does he do? Jesus turns to him and he tells him just that. He tells him to take, get up, take your mat and walk. And so what Jesus did is he met all three of these needs. Physically, he met his needs. He told him what? Get up and walk. He healed him physically. He met him where he was physically. He, he met his needs uh, as far as his soul. What did he do when he was lowered down from the roof? Did he get mad? I probably would have. If I'm right in the middle of my sermon and one of you jokers gets up there and starts ripping the roof apart, I'm going to be a little angry with you. All right? Like, I've worked hard on this. I've got, my, I've got where I'm going. Don't distract me by ripping my roof off, right? But what does Jesus do? Jesus looks at him, and what does he call him? Son. He respects him. He meets him emotionally. And then what? He meets him where his spirit is, connection to God, and he says, your sins are forgiven. He deals with his sin. He deals with his emotions. And he deals with where he is physically. It's complete. And, and hasn't Jesus done the same for us? If you haven't written anything down, write these three references down. Jesus has done the same for us. He's met us physically. In Matthew 6, he says, Do not be anxious. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He'll provide for you physically. What about your soul? 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father's given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. He's called you a child of God. Look at, the, look at spirit, Colossians 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Jesus has done the same for us. And so as we've experienced his justice in our lives, righting all of our wrongs in our lives, so we too should let that inspire us, that righteousness, that relationship, let that inspire us into horizontal justice, into interacting with other people and righting wrongs there with them as well. Um, Love people as Christ has loved us. It's simple. Jesus tells his disciples that in, in John 13. He says, I give you another command. Love one another just as I've loved you. So love people as we've experienced the love of God. 
So in other words, the heart of God, the center of the cross, the, the, the center that we want to shoot for is this. As we experience the love of God in our relationship with him, may that love and that justice we experience personally overflow into justice as we interact with everyone around us. That's the center of the cross. So I want to conclude with a couple of thoughts. I want you to look at that, that cross that you have there. And, and you circle the middle. I know that's our center. But I want you to find where you are. Maybe you're not in the center. Maybe you're down here. Maybe, you know, I got this Bible thing, right? Like, I, I got the whole getting to know Jesus thing. I listen to Caleb. I'm good, right? I only shop at Lifeway, right? I don't even go to Walmart, all right? So I got this down. But this, investing in people, meeting, meeting their needs, seeking justice for people, not so much. You know, and, and so if that's you, here's my challenge to you. Live deliberately. Live deliberately. I think a lot of the times we sit there and we, and we just go, well, God will do what God's going to do. And so do, do, do. No. Live deliberately. Number one, pray for opportunities to right wrongs in people's lives. Pray for opportunities. Let me tell you this. I know I'm only 27 years old, but in my short life here on earth, every single time I've asked my Father in Heaven to give me an opportunity to show His grace and His love to people. He has. Every single time. I'll guarantee it. Better than Men's Warehouse. I guarantee it, alright? Every single time. Pray for opportunities. The second thing, go and find them. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say before he leaves, before he ascends into heaven? What does he tell his disciples? Go and make disciples. He doesn't say, sit down, wait, and if they happen to come to your church, make them a disciple. What does he say? Go and make disciples. So go. Go be deliberate about who your friends are. Do you not have any lost friends? Do you not have any people who don't know Jesus? You don't hang around people like that? Would you go and hang out with them? Get your head out of the sand? Go. Be deliberate. Be delivered in your life. So go and make disciples. The third thing, invest in them. What does he say? Go and what? Make disciples and what? Teach them all that I've commanded you. So invest in people. We like to do short-term mission trips where I can jump in somewhere and put a Band-Aid on something and then go home. Or I like to say to somebody, oh, what's going on in your life? Oh, you're struggling with something? Here, here's 20 bucks. Hope that helps. And move on. Jesus says invest in people. Make disciples. Teach them everything I've commanded you. Like invest in them. Live deliberately. Some of you, maybe you find yourself on this horizontal justice continuum. Maybe, maybe that's where you find yourself. And, and I, have to, I have to make a confession. I find myself there a lot. I find myself there a lot trying to right wrongs and trying to, trying to help people. And what happens is my devotion and my affection is moved towards that more than it's moved towards Jesus. My motivation for helping people comes from like, just a moral upbringing that way. And it comes from even a religious like thought process. Like, oh, this is the right thing to do. I need to do this. And, and so my helping of them, because it's not motivated by righteousness with God, it's not motivated by my love of God, it's incomplete. It, it fails. And my service of them for me becomes idolatry because I care about it a lot more than I care about Jesus. So my challenge to you, if you find yourself here, savor 
Jesus. Savor Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. Love him. Walk with him. Look for him. Worship him. Just enjoy him. Jesus said, and, and this verse speaks to me a lot, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. I work so hard for him sometimes and I'm not really working for him. I'm working for me, but I'm doing his work. Do you get what I'm saying? Savor Jesus. As the band comes up, some of you might find yourself in the last group and you're in some hybrid, you know? Like, oh, well, I give the halt, so I am doing some justice and I go to a Bible study, so I'm over here with the righteousness thing. I don't know where you are. I don't, know, I don't know exactly where you are. But let me tell you where the center is. The center of the cross, the center of the heart of God, it's a rhythm. It's a beautiful rhythm. He's not asking you to go work hard and hope that, that gives you a devotion for him. He's not asking for you to just simply sit on your devotion either. It's a beautiful rhythm. And we find it in 1 Peter. He says, you need to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What does he say? What does he say? You experience him. Just experience him. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Enjoy that and tell other people about it. Enjoy him and let that overflow into your relationships and interactions with everyone around you. So I don't don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. But use this song as we sing. We're going to stand and sing. Use this song to reflect and, and, and return to the center of the cross. Return to that rhythm. Enjoy God and show that enjoyment to others. So if you will, would you stand with me? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, be lifted up during this prayer time, um, this, this song, God. Would you help us return to, to the rhythm of the cross, return to the center of the cross? Um, God, may we learn to enjoy you and then spread that into our interactions with other people. Um, just work in us now as we reflect and we think about you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.